Don Rahul Jimenez. How amateur is that? Like, you don't even see that down in the park. If they, if they lose, it provides great content. I am supporting every team that plays break. I'm not making a documentary this year about how shit my club is. Mudman, thank you as always. Who would you rather lose it to, by the way, me or Johnny? That's somebody's choice. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the Football Bubble podcast. Um, it's me, Brent. Phil is um, working, I think he said, which is really hard to believe. But um, yeah, he'll be back next week. Um, I've got Paddy here. Paddy, how you doing? Hello, good evening, folks. Fresh off a last-minute Liverpool winner, so I'm sure he'll be buoyant. Um, and also, uh, just one bold one this, this week. Um, Johnny is off, I think, buying a leather jacket or buying a Harley Davidson or something. <laughs> um, so we've got Steve. Steve, how's it going? Good, yeah. I'm going to have to be extra bold for the two of us. <laughs> yeah, thank you, are. Um A lot has happened in the last week, actually, in the world of football. Um we had the second protest outside Old Trafford, um, which looked at at one stage like it was going to boil over a couple of times. Um, we we got that fixture play in the end. Um, Liverpool got an important result there, and they also got an important result at the weekend against West Brom, a last minute winner from Allison, um, which is something I never thought I would say. Um, Chelsea were beat in the FA Cup final by Leicester. Um, and they were also beat in the Champions League final, the Women's Champions League final. They were trounced by Barcelona, so we'll get on to all that. that I'm plus, going to be the men's uh, Champions League final too, Brent. All right, Paddy, all right. <laughs> <laughs> like, who said you could be bold as well? Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, also in the last hour or so, uh, all over Twitter, that Harry Kane apparently has told Tottenham this season again he wants to leave the club United, City, Chelsea, all the usual suspects are apparently interested, so we will get on to that as well. Um, I know it seems like a while ago now, Steve, but we'll um, we'll touch on the second United protest again. Don't know if they did it on purpose um, again at the Liverpool game. Um, anything new in it for you? Any um, any new stories you take from it, or or any different feelings this time around? Um. It felt like less of a an anti-Glazer protest this time and more of a let's try and provoke Liverpool fans protest. It didn't feel mm. as, like, the heart. I know, I, I know we, we kind of all had our disagreement on, on, on the effectiveness or the methods of the first protest, but, like, it got the biggest game in the Premier League cancelled, whereas this felt more... Felt more like the United fans were interested in trolling Liverpool fans and the Liverpool team than they were in actually maybe making any sort of a statement. And it does mm-hmm. feel a little bit like the the momentum from the anti Super League protests is kind of dwindling a little bit. Um, and that to me was was the biggest takeaway. I know the Telegraph and the BBC today both tried to kind of twist Solskjaer's comments on it, um, to make it seem as if he was blaming the the, the protest and the fans for United's dip in form, but, but what he actually said was that, you know, obviously the protests cost United a gap between games that they would have had and they ended up playing like, you know, three games in a ridiculously short period of time, but mm-hmm. that he understood why fans were protesting. So it was, a, it's an interesting one from that point of view, but there's no doubt that, like, it has completely transformed the season. Um, playing that weekend team against Leicester, obviously everyone felt that handed Leicester an advantage in the race for the top four. Mm-hmm. And then the momentum that had built up a decent run of form that United side, but there was just there was nothing, there was no spark in the game against Liverpool then on the Thursday as well. So, and that's that Liverpool obviously with what happened at the weekend then as well. They're probably now favourites for the top four, at, at possibly even Leicester's expense. So, it. it it's funny that, that the protest has had such a dramatic effect, but not in any way that is positive for United whatsoever, you know? 
Yeah. And it's it's funny, Paddy, what did you make of it? Because uh, as Steve said there, like it obviously uh, there was some anti-Liverpool sentiment uh, to the protest, which was supposed to be about the European Super League. But yet um, the game getting cancelled, the original game getting cancelled in the first place and subsequent results, subsequent teams that have been picked may end up benefiting Liverpool. Um, so, you know, how do you how do you feel about it? Yeah, it was, it was clear that you know the, the the first game was the sort of standout protest and one that will be be remembered. This one, you know, tried to gain the traction, but uh, I know there was increased security and things around it, and 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 it went ahead. And there did seem to be, from what I saw on Twitter, a bit of anti Liverpool stuff rather than anti Super League stuff. Um, but sure, that's just can happen. Footballers, idiots. Uh, Associated with every every club, I know Liverpool, my club, has has put a few bricks through windows of, of buses uh, in recent years too. So it definitely happens happens around. But I think you know not through the lack of trying. United have tried to uh, scupper Liverpool's uh, Champions League chances. You know the, the fielded a reserve side essentially against uh, against Leicester and lost the game first time Leicester had won there in twenty years or something crazy, and then. They obviously brought the big guns back for the for the Thursday game, but um, United were really flat. Like I thought, Liverpool were actually really poor in the first sort of half hour or so, uh, and United looked like they were on top, but uh, they just totally lost their way. They were so open. Oh my word! Um, and I know that we give uh, Steve included the the resident Manchester United fan give Harry Maguire absolute dogs abuse on this uh, podcast, but goodness, they look even worse without him. Um, they were so open, like Liverpool couldn't have asked for anything better. Uh, and we'll maybe come on to the West Brom game later for Liverpool, but that's the kind of setup Liverpool love playing against. People who come on to them and we can hit them on the counter. It's these these sort of low block teams that we struggle against. So it, it, it ended up working for us. I don't think Liverpool were scintillating by any means. They had a few chances and they were fairly wasteful. And I think they were they were lucky enough in the end that Salah ran away and, and scored because United did have a few chances in and around the, the Liverpool box and you know we've praised them often but I think when Greenwood came on there was just a bit of a spark and, and it looked like United might get back into the game but yes so United lost against Leicester obviously wanted to beat us but 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 Liverpool managed to come out on top so it's back in our hands maybe not the way that Manchester United fans would have liked it and Liverpool could still balls this up as well themselves because they're so, so inconsistent and essentially playing our fifth and sixth, or you could argue sixth and seventh centre centre half choice choices at at, um, at centre half. Like I could definitely think of five in our squad I'd rather have it ahead of both of them. So mm-hmm. uh the fact that we're even sniffing around the top four is unbelievable. It really is. Like your boy Williams was on loan at Kidderminster last year and uh, Phillips was on loan at Stuttgart who were in Bundesliga 2 at that stage so you know these are you know they seem like good lads and all but they're never going to be Premier League defenders for a top 6 side like you know Phillips is particularly committed and he had put his hair, head on an articulated lorry but when the ball's played in and around him he struggles Williams looks graceful he actually love, plays a lovely crossfield ball a real skill but he can't defend, and he's unbelievably slow. Um, so, you know, I think it is it is fortuitous that we're still knocking around, and obviously, you know, yesterday was pretty miraculous. But um, there's still there's still two important games to go, and hopefully, hopefully Liverpool can get over the line. But for the neutral, I'm sure, Brendan, I, I'm sure that Manchester United Liverpool game was great to watch because there were chances at both ends. Um, both sides were so open that it made for a really, really entertaining game. And the United-Liverpool games in general in, in recent seasons, not even recent seasons, going back 10 years, have been absolute dog shit, like real pig's ears of games, especially under Mourinho's, lots of nil-nils, lots of cagey stuff. That was just caution to the wind, absolutely thrill-a-minute stuff. And it was love, good to watch, good to watch. Yeah, I think you're you're probably right Like about the... Um Good for a neutral to watch, which again I never would have expected from from that game, especially in this sort of a situation when there's actually 
something on the line at least for one of the teams coming towards the end of the season. Like, and I think <laughs> this is going to be so funny to anyone who always listens to this podcast. But like, I think you're really right um, with the with the Maguire thing, um, because United, you know, especially with that setup that they played um, with Fred and McTominay, um, and you know Pogba off the left. Um, usually it is Maguire in there with with Lindelof, but um, uh, you know, Bay and Lindelof just look like they look like they never play together, which obviously they don't. Um, but they look like they can't play together either. Um, and I didn't think you know Shaw had a particularly good game. I know he's had a really good season. Um, but I mean there was holes all over the place. I thought in United's defense, it's it's kind of a good thing that. That game, I know United wanted to stop Liverpool, but um, there was nothing really on the line for United because, um, well, I suppose going back to the, the protests and stuff, um, it has put them in a in a difficult position when they when they had to play those three games in ten days or whatever it was, Steve. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is, I know you. There's two things I want to get onto here. One is is what the original protest was supposed to be about, which was the the European Super League, and seeing um, among others have have released a an open letter today, um, you know, which which they lay out um, what they want to see happen in the game. Um, but also, you touched on it um, about these results, and I've actually heard you know Tuchel talking about it recently about momentum, the word momentum coming into this end of the season. And is it are Yank United might be in a bit of danger of you know, I know they've they've two more games in the Premier League to play, they're basically dead rubbers as far as United are concerned. And actually the other two clubs, I think it's Fulham and, and Wolves who have nothing to play for really either. Um but do you think they're sort of in danger of kinda of coasting and, you know, not really being ready for the for the Europa League final? Yeah, it's an it's a danger, all right. Like, I'm like part of me like they're like when you actually look at the amount of money they've spent, and then you realise that they don't have another defender, a centre half <laughs> to come in uh, and buy, and, and Lindelof are so bad once Maguire is injured. It's incredible, really. Like, um, I wouldn't be stunned to see someone like Matic end up maybe back there uh, in one of the final two games. Um, mm. But you, I, I think I think the biggest difference in that game, did or not, I think United probably could have beaten Liverpool if if Greenwood had started over Rashford. Um, yeah. I know Rashford got a goal, but like, he's offering nothing at the moment. And Greenwood has been on on fire. Like he's had his best run of games for United in terms of goal scoring. Um, and I think he's just such a bigger threat coming off that right, uh, especially uh, so much more so than than Rashford. So I do think that's the kind of thing that annoys me about Solskjaer is like that. Like Greenwood is is the the goal scorer in form in terms of like the midfield or, or forward players, and yet he's the one who plays against Leicester and gets dropped for Liverpool when it would have been to me it would have made sense for Rashford to be the one playing against Leicester and and Greenwood held back for Liverpool. Um, but I do think you're right that like they had been on a decent run of form, and, and just finding that kind of groove again is going to be a, a little bit more difficult, especially when you you do make you know ten changes twice in two games. Um, those kind of things are hard, and I think the goalkeeping situation is something that has to be addressed as well. I I don't think Henderson um has done enough to deserve to keep the spot, like. He literally made himself as small as he could be for the Salah goal. Like if yeah. if an under ten did that, you'd you'd have a word with him after the game, you know. Um, <laughs> and like the thing is, like he saw the ball to Salah, and then he ran with his back to the play for like a good four or five seconds when he should have been out making himself as big as possible, getting to the edge of the square, um, and relying on I think it was. Um, was it McTominay that was chasing back, like to cover off the other half of the goal, like at least cover half the goal? He covered less than a third of the goal, and I don't know. I think I think that Hay would be very hard done by if he doesn't start the Europa League final. Um, but yeah, I do think it's it's definitely had like the fact that United have had nothing to play for in the Premier League now for a couple of weeks 
has really impacted things as well. Like you can see it in the players. Like it's been a long, long two seasons really, because like the last two seasons have almost merged into into one another. Um, and it just feels like the only the only thing that anyone cares about within the club at the moment is the Europa League final. But it's really hard to switch off for a few weeks and then turn everything back on all of a sudden. So I think in terms of silverware, I I wouldn't be feeling too good about United's chances right now. It is. It's a weird position to be in. Like you almost want to have something to play for, um, so that you have that momentum and you can just continue it on. Especially like in terms of team selection and you know who do you who needs to rest at this point, who needs to continue what they're what they're doing. And I think probably Greenwood is one of those who who just needs to play games. Like he hasn't played games consistently all season. He's young. He can you know he has the energy to do it and especially if he's just going to keep scoring goals when he plays like it's just going to be confidence builder upon confidence builder um and especially if he you know no no one's so sure i don't know he might play mctominay and fred but if he if he was to play a pogba sitting with either one of those two then he would have the you know he would have the option to play Rashford off the left and greenwood off the right and then have fernandez and cavani there which is what i would do um but I mean, you know, it's easy saying it. I don't know, maybe if there's certain players struggling or whatever. I know Maguire is facing a bit of a battle to get fit. <clears throat> it looks like they need him. <laughs> um, you know, um, as yeah, much I, as we maybe like, I, I wouldn't mind Tuan back there because I think he's good. But I just think he needs that bit of experience beside him. And I don't think Lindelof or Baye give give that. But I think Lindelof's just a walking disaster. Like he's one of the worst players I've ever seen play for Manchester United. Like, there's, there's nothing. There's no good redeeming qualities about him whatsoever. Like, um, and it, it he he always looks like just lost out there. He really does. And by he's a red card waiting to happen because he just flies into challenges like with no no regard for like his safety or the safety of the players around him. So it's a tough position to be in. Like and and look. I'm not Maguire's biggest fan, as everyone who's ever listened to this podcast will know. They're <laughs> missing him. They are missing him. There's no doubt. I tell you, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, another member of that yeah. uh, back forward, did something absolutely criminal. Uh, he was wearing gloves in mid-May. <laughs> I, think that, I think that is worse than anything Lindelof could do. Uh, if your name isn't Dean Henderson or Alison Decker, you should not have been wearing gloves on Thursday night. <laughs> That's fair. Stock and points. Find him. Ban him. <laughs> Drop him from the England squad. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll maybe touch on that as well. But um, a team who who certainly does have something to play for in the Premier League is Liverpool, um, and they still do because of their last two results being United and then last minute winner um, from goalkeeper Allison uh, against West Brom. <sighs> We're talking about momentum there, Paddy. Momentum strongly seems to be with Liverpool at the minute, even though maybe a week ago it wasn't. Yeah, it's been it's been a good it's been a good week or so beating Southampton, and then obviously the Man United result, and then yesterday. Now, uh, papers over the crack. We were we were shit again yesterday. Like like we were really really bad. I thought. Um, the only I thought Thiago was great and Trent was great, but aside from that. You know, it, it took it took a keeper to score a ninety fifth minute winner winner to beat a relegated side who have really looked like a championship side since they got spanked by Everton on the first day of the season. Like they are championship players, and we apart from when they hammered us. Well, yeah, apart from that, um, but yeah, we shouldn't have been in that position to need a miracle. Um, like we. <laughs> You know there were a few good chances, but we we still just look so so stilted. Uh, Thiago, they they were sitting so low that they didn't press Thiago at all, and he must have had the the afternoon of his life. Like he had so much space, and he was brilliant. Uh, I think I think he was actually given man of the match on Sky, um, before the Allison thing. Um, but he was unreal. Like he, he does things. He nearly does needless things that just look pretty. Like. If the ball's coming to him, he'll stop up with his studs and roll it and do a step over. Or, but even the way he drops his shoulder, the way he uses space, his way to pass, his vision—he was just lovely to watch. Like he, he sort of made the game pleasurable, um, and he was—he was quite good against United as well on Thursday. But yeah, momentum—it's there. Um, 
I'm generally of an optimistic sunny disposition, but like we could still fuck this up. Like I, you know, we're we're playing playing Burnley, who 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 have nothing to play for, and then I think it's Newcastle. So am I right in that? I think I'm right. Um, you know, the two it's teams nothing to play for. Oh, Palace, sorry, Palace, you're right. Oh, that's right, with Drew Newcastle. Um, two teams are nothing to play for. So you know. Odds, you know, logic would suggest that we should breeze past, but just nothing's been straightforward this season. We probably don't deserve top four. Like we've been really, really crap uh, for for most of the season. But if we can manage to sneak in that some boost going into next season, um, you know, to, to get an improbable Champions League qualification, start getting players back from injury. Like again, yesterday we were probably missing ten players. Like we we had boys in the bench who, you know. But we had nothing on the bench really that could change the game. Shakiri came on, but Shakiri's been ineffective for two years. Um, he did absolutely nothing, and he's done absolutely nothing for a long time. Uh, and then you're just looking at Origi and Wijnaldum came off the bench before, but he's played an absolutely inordinate amount of football this season uh, due to the injuries and things. But uh, you know, for, for the goal, like frig me, what a header! Like if anyone had scored that, if Harry Kane had scored that, or Alan Shearer. Or Duncan Ferguson, or Les Ferdinand, or Emil Hesky, anyone with a bit of aerial prowess, you would say that is unreal. Like coming across him, uh, generally, generally for what I find anyway, for right footers, it's easier to head over your left, like head a ball coming from the right. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So he's a right footer. That ball is coming from the left, and he has caught that perfectly on the run and into the side net. And like it's unbelievable and. And just the emotion, like, it was... Football, you know, I even watched that Manchester United game on Thursday. I didn't even feel a ripple of emotion when goals went in. Like, I just watched it like I would watch any game that didn't involve my club. I felt nothing. I don't know if it's fans, if it's been a long season, COVID, whatever. That's the first time I've felt genuine joy watching football in quite a while. And he seems like such a nice fella. His interview was heartwarming. He's been through such family tragedy, like, and you know how he's managed to play through that um, missing his own father's funeral because of COVID and, and the circumstances around his father's death the, the, the drowning like it's horrific like and, and he's just played through it and his form has been patchy and goodness like flip me I know when I, I could barely make a sandwich so like I don't know how he has managed to get through that period and you could just see the relief on his face with the interview even said himself, he stayed away from every interviews for the last while, but he just looked at peace or something. He looked, uh, it was lovely. It was a really, really touching moment, and and Sky actually did it quite well and didn't probe him too much, and uh, it was quite sort of sensitive. And yeah, you, Liverpool just need to make sure that it means something now, and that they can capitalise and make sure it's not a a worthless header that'll go down as a a footnote as the sixth time a goalkeeper scored in the Premier League. You wanted to be, geez, this goalkeeper kept our season alive, turned it round, and, and we qualified. So that's the hope. That's the hope. Um, but it's the hope that bloody kills you all the time, isn't it? <laughs> that's why you love it. Like, um, no, no, I, um, I think that that Allison interview with Will Grant is one of the one of the best in the Premier League, and really one of the standout moments in a, re- a kind of a crappy, shitty season. Like it's the significance of the goal really annoyed me. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Because um, like you, I was watching it thinking, you know, Liverpool do not really deserve this. West Brom have kind of been decent. The the, the cutter had a, a few other goals. Robson County um, got in behind a couple of times. And um, as you said, the Liverpool centre-halves looked kind of all over the place at times. Um, and the goal didn't really look like it was coming. Um, and I, I really agree with your assessment. Like, I think... Um, Thiago was good, very good, because he had space and because he was able to to pick balls out. And he he seems like a player. You know, I think next season we'll see a lot more of him. You know, he took a wee bit of time to settle, um, but you can see his confidence growing within a game. And I think Trent as well. Like the last couple of games, he has been awesome. Um, and I think it would be a travesty if 
if he was left out of England squad, which apparently is was being reported this morning. Um, but yeah. yeah, as I was saying about Allison, you know, I, I was annoyed by the initial um, the initial result, but you know, when I watched the interview afterwards, um, so brave to even go up and, and do the interview. You know, he couldn't really even say. I think he, he said. Um, when the thing happened, you know, it's probably hard for him to, to even vocalize it. Um, but everything he said was, was perfect. And it really, you know, even though, you know, Chelsea are competing with Liverpool for a top four place, you know, you're absolutely heartless, you know, if you're, if you're not smiling after that, um, what it meant to him and, you know, you know, he was even emotional with, with Klopp afterwards, um, oh, yeah. which was, it was great to see for him, and it was good that you know he mentioned other clubs have have been in yeah. contact with him and stuff, and um, about to say. you know you can lovely. you can tell that it it you know brings it brings people together football at times like as as much as it seems that other you know fans between other clubs do hate each other, you know it's nice to say that there's there's that side of it as well. Evening, bubblers and. Babble podcasters. Um, obviously, I'm not on this week's show. A bit too busy. My apologies. I can only imagine what kind of chaos has, has been going on in this week's show with you four morons that have left to your own devices. Um, I don't even know what to talk about this week or where to start. Like There was a lot going on in the world of FIPA. Uh, we also had the FA Cup final, which, which had fans back in it. And it was really nice, actually, to see just fans react and hear fans react and it sort of felt at times I'm sure you just talked about it like it sort of felt real and felt felt quite nice obviously not for you Britain but um, then I thought that was going to be maybe the wildest thing of the weekend was obviously the VAR decision but it happened to Chilwell but then yesterday <laughs> Alison Becker uh, decides to go up front and um, plant a header into the bottom corner in the 95th minute to win the game for Liverpool and keep their top four hopes and Champions League next year hopes um, alive. I actually missed the end of the game because I was doing bedtime uh, with Fimbo. Um, and obviously that's more important. Um, so I was putting Finn to bed. We're having a laugh. And uh, as I was putting him down into his cot, giving him a kiss, saying night night, my phone started hopping, just buzzing in my pocket. And I didn't know what was going on. And I looked down at my phone and... Uh, I think it was about 15 messages maybe or whatever, but the first message was my dad texting, I've had a stroke. Bearing in mind, less than a year ago, he actually did have two strokes. Um, So that was quite uh, horrendous. Uh, I didn't know what was going on. And um, then next thing, I think it was Brenton had said something had happened in the group chat. Father from work had said something had happened about a goal. I just texted Dad. I ignored everyone else. Text Dad, see what was going on. He just texted back. Uh, Allison scored the winner. And I couldn't believe what was happening. I didn't believe it. And then I think he's all put it in the group as well. I didn't believe what was going on. It was just uh, such a surreal, surreal, surreal moment. Um, I think if I'd have been that way end, I'd still be there. I'd still be in that ground, probably still upside down, um, just giggling to myself. It's just surreal. So as a Liberty fan, obviously you hope it can keep going high and they can they can do some damage win the next two games and, and kick on to to get in the Champions League next season. But that was such a moment that is and just such a real lovely moment as well for Alisson too, with what he's been through. Uh obviously losing his father uh, in a in a horrendous accident. Um and just his words afterwards were just very sweet and and sincere and very very just just felt brutally honest which was lovely like in a way just to hear him speak and and get get everything out there so yeah I'm sure you've all covered it and what all's gone on um just as well as as I was away from the podcast night the Harry Kane news too so this hasn't been touched on we'll touch on this obviously next week but um yeah the world of football is is. Heading at 100 mile an hour into the end of the season, which and then it's going to just bounce off that and straight into the Euros. Um, but I hope you enjoyed all the show. I hope the lads behaved themselves. I, I know they didn't. Um, you know, tap these again next week. Good luck. I don't really want to talk about this, but um, we'll move on to the FA Cup final. Um, Chelsea beaten 1 0 by Leicester and by uh, uh, 
um, an absolute cracker of a goal from Yuri Tielemans, which was actually Leicester's only shot on target in the game. Um, but Steve, did you see it? What did you think of it? And um, where do you think Chelsea's season goes from here? I think if you were to offer Chelsea fans one win out of the three finals that the club as a whole are involved in over the, the past kind of week or so and, and next week as well, I think they'd take the two losses that they've taken. Um, I, I thought it was an interesting game um, because I don't think Leicester were were great. As you said, they're only shot on target, but they just kept pressing and pressing and pressing and pressing. And it, like you knew they weren't kind of ever going to kind of go away or play for extra time or anything like that. Um, I think it's probably the worst thing that could have happened to Leicester in terms of wanting to qualify for Champions League football because Jamie Vardy is now on the piss for the rest of the season. So. <laughs> Um, by all accounts, he was drinking bottles of beer on the whole way home in the car with his family uh, from the game. Um, and the, uh, port, port, is that his drink? He drinks before games. Of course, yeah, yeah. It, well, yeah. Like, I thought that only Granny's drank port. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I think from a Chelsea point of view, like, look, it's the FA Cup. I think we've spoken about this on this podcast so many times. Like, it's not the be all and end all. I tell you what was great though. I tell you and it took me a while to realise what it was that kind of drew me into the game because I was more emotionally invested in the FA Cup final than I was in the United Liverpool game on Thursday evening. A, a bit like Patrick said, like even like there's times when Liverpool beating United would like, that was me gone for a week. I'd be like I'd just be done because I'd be so annoyed. And I just didn't couldn't bring myself to care. And I couldn't figure it out when I was watching the game. What What is it that caused me? It was the fans. And the yeah. difference even having that limited number of fans in the stadium, like, caused and the effect. It, and you saw it, like, you saw it at the end. Like, when the goal went in, you saw Leicester's reaction and the way for VAR. And, like, if that had been chopped off, that handball, <laughs> there would have been absolute murder. Like, And then <laughs> at the other end, like, for Chelsea, like, I honestly thought, that the Chelsea goal was going to stand because I'm, uh, even though I thought it was offside the first time around, I thought it was maybe too close to, to kind of give it as offside. Um, so I think to answer your original question, I don't, I, Chelsea will obviously be disappointed. It was a chance for a first trophy under, under Tuchel, but the, the goal has to be, everything has to be about the Champions League final. That's, that, that has to be the be all and end all. I think because, I think I think you'll you'll beat Leicester in the league, and I think that'll obviously help with with the European spot or whatever. Like, but you know, winning the Champions League is a is is a better way to secure qualification, I think, than than trying to do it through the league. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Like, um, I, I think it's in a weird way it'll probably um sort of motivate Chelsea for for these last couple of games. I, th- I think. I mean, the maths for the top four is ridiculous for what could happen, all the different um, outcomes. Um, but I think if Chelsea beat Leicester, then you'll have to match what Leicester do on the last day. Um, and Leicester plays Spurs, um, who, again, could also be in that run. Um, obviously, um, depending on the two Liverpool results as well, but it's in Chelsea's hands as well. Um, I think if Leicester beat us, uh, that's it for them. They're they're guaranteed. Um, so there, there's a lot of different things going on. The, the FA Cup final was disappointing. It was you're so right about the fans. I mean, even small things that you don't get with the with the crowd noise um, that you know that tries to suck you in and think you're watching a real you know a real um, fan game. Um, I think when <laughs> you noticed it really when Chilwell came on, um, he was just getting absolute dogs abuse, um, <laughs> and it, it was it was nice, obviously not nice for him, but it was nice to hear that, you know, um, or when Werner absolutely skied one in the first half, there was the ironic way from the yeah, that's the, the thing I missed the most. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and there was a couple of those because Werner missed a couple, <laughs> um, but it's great, like, um, and and you know it could. Different, different players probably react differently to that. Like it'll really, 
um, it'll spur some players on, and some players will really, um, you know, go inside themselves. Um, but I think I actually thought I'll not spend too long on it, but I think I mentioned it in the group, maybe tweeted even about it. Um, I think Chilwell should have started. I think it was he would have been pumped for it to play against his old team in a in an FA Cup final. I don't think Alonso was the right shout. Um, and I think maybe when you're playing Alonso, um, you don't play as Pilaqueta, um, as a as a wing back, as the higher wing back, um, because they're both slow, and Chelsea didn't get up quick enough. I think I, I get why Rhys James played further back because Vardy didn't do a lot, and Rhys James was there to mark him. And he did well on him. But I think if you're playing Reese James a wee bit deeper, you, you play Chilwell well um, so he can get up and down on the other side so at least they have that option. Uh, I sort of I could see what, what Tugel was doing with, with Azpilicueta. Um, but he just he didn't have enough to, to keep getting up and down. And then um, Pulisic. I would have started Pulisic as well. I think he's in that Chelsea's last three or four games, he's probably been their best player. Um and he didn't get enough minutes and you could see the impact he kind of had when he came on Hudson Doyle would have been in with the shot as well but I think I would have started Pulisic maybe over the edge um, but again you know he's he's probably trying to manage his, his squad for the for the important games coming up there's there's that Arsenal game um, he, he admitted himself that you know he maybe, maybe made a few selection errors but Chelsea were, you could, I know when you lose a final, you can't say you're unlucky, but um, I think that, you know, a lot more of the ball, they had a lot of shots. Um, Schmeichel made a couple of unbelievable saves as well, which I haven't mentioned. Um, one from Mount in particular comes to mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, Leicester, like, you, you can't win a final and not deserve it, so um, <clears throat> it could work into Chelsea's hands, like, Already could have been on the Red Bull, you know, for for three straight days, um, and Chelsea could, you know, it's at the bridge as well. So if they win there, and I think they play Villa on the last day, that you know, given that boost of of being in the top four before you go in to play Man City, um, you know, could, could only be a good thing. But who knows what will happen? Um, we, we mentioned it at the top of the show about. Um, a certain Harry Kane um, now plastered all over Twitter that he has told the club apparently he's told Daniel Levy that he wants to leave at the end of the season of course United City, Chelsea all interested in, in acquiring him um, but Paddy do we think it is realistic that Harry Kane will leave Spurs at the end of the season, and apparently he, want, he has stated that he wants to stay in the Premier League. Do you think there's a possibility? I think it's possible. I think I think there's a couple of things that that might go against it. One being that there'll be absolute mutiny, like uh, among Spurs fans, if he were to leave because he's kind of he is Spurs. He, it's kind of like I always compare things to Liverpool, and I apologise, but he's like Gerrard. In like you know two thousand and five ish, Gerard was Liverpool, and Gerard was Liverpool basically until Klopp came along, and he was the face of the club. And I know there was a bit of time when when Gerard or, or Klopp wasn't there with Rodgers, but he's such the face of the club. He's probably probably most shirts that Spurs sell in other countries. His name's on the back of them, and, and in England too. So that that's the first thing. It would be just suicide for them you know with the new stadium and everything it would be a shock the second thing is the climate financial climate Kane is arguably you know in terms of an out and out nine arguably the best you know or one of the best in the top three top five anyway nines in the world he would command significant money outside of COVID football and um, say if we're talking two years ago uh, I know he's only 27 now, but you could have been looking at 150 million for for Kane easily. Um, now I don't clubs probably don't have 150 million to, to to spend, and that might count against it. The timing might 
suit spurs in that a suitable bid mightn't arrive and then they can sort of hold on to him. I'm not sure exactly what the contract le- contract length is, but it must be pretty long because I haven't heard any murmurings that he's you know only got 18 months or two years left to run. So I'm not entirely sure sure about that. Um, so yeah, it 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 would be it would be a surprise, especially to stay in the in the Premiership. Like there aren't many sort of big huge signings that happen in between clubs. Uh, especially of the level of Kane. Like I'm trying to think like Van Persie maybe was a big one when that happened. Torres. Eight, nine years ago. Torres was a big one about ten years ago. Um you know, it doesn't happen that much. It's usually English clubs selling to Spanish clubs really, uh, players at the peak of their powers. So it would be it would be pretty a massive story if he left and an even bigger story if he went to one of the say one of the Manchester clubs. So It'll be interesting. There's going to be movement. Like Haaland's going to go somewhere, you'd imagine. Uh, you know, Mbappe has always talked about. It, is it a year too soon for all these things? I can't see all three of them happening. It would spark Mary Hell. Um, so we'll see. His record, Kane's record, unreal. Like he's got 165 Premier League goals in 240 games. For I don't know, Spurs have had some very good seasons in that, but you know, they're it's un, unbelievable numbers. Like. Um, He's selfless. I can't imagine him agitating too much because, you know, he is the Spurs' darling. He's the English media's darling. I can't see him sort of throwing the toys out of the pram, slapping on a transfer request, going to the papers, doing interviews, doing a Peter Autumn wingy, hanging out the window, driving to the club. You know, he's not <laughs> going to do those things. So uh, it'd be interesting if this is a way of, is he just sort of trying to pressure Spurs into uh, investment in a new manager and new players? Is he looking guarantees regarding sort of his opportunities to win things in the future with Spurs? Or is he sort of looking around him thinking, right, fuck, we've got a caretaker manager here, you know, who's who's not much older than I am. The options for managers here are, are, aren't great. You know, here and today, it's Simone and Zaghi's like top of the list now, um, which seems sort of surprising. Uh, maybe he's just looking around and thinking, "This is a sinking ship. Let's get out." So, who, who knows? Who knows? Um, it'll be. It'll, I'm sure it'll run and run anyway. Yeah, uh, I, <clears throat> I sort of think, like he's he's really served his time. I know, like probably Bale and and or Modric are the last ones to. To high profile, high enough profile to leave Spurs, um, uh, and also they they didn't stay within the Premier League, um, but surely Steve, they're, you know, they can't ask for much more from Hurricane. Like he's he's been there for I don't know how long, um, and he's been he's probably he's up there with with the best players they've ever had, um, and. As Paddy said, he's never really agitated properly for a move. Um, he's done all he can, I think, to to try and bring silverware to Tottenham, and he probably sees at this stage, like you know, it's not going to happen for him. Um, you know, potentially with England at the Euros, but he, you know, a player of that quality needs trophies on a CV, or otherwise, you know, really. People don't put you down with the greats. Can you see him showing up at Carrington? Um, yeah, I can. And unfortunately, I can see what happening is that Man City put in a bid for a player they actually don't want or need to drive up the price. And, you know, it's just matching it and matching it. And they pay way over the odds for someone. Like, yeah, he's he's only 27. And, you know, we like to think strikers are in the kind of peak of their career between 28 and, and 32, maybe. But... Like, he has a few kind of long-term knocks you'd be worried about. I just think there's something, like, I think he has to move for his own sake. He has, I think for Spurs, he's 165 goals in 240-odd appearances. Like, if you were to describe any striker of having that kind of record, you'd expect at least one winner's medal on his mm-hmm. CD, and he has mm-hmm. none. So you can absolutely understand why he'd want... He's, he, he, you know, I think the phrase he used, Brendan, was, was that his, his time is served. Mm-hmm. Like, he's done all he can. He's with the club since 2009. He owes them nothing. Um, and he's been just... A, a, like, 
he's a, he would not be one of my favorite players at all. I, 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 I just can't warm to him very much at all. But like, his record in front of goals just speaks for itself. And any team in the Premier League would, with maybe the possible exception of Man City, because I'm not sure he fits the way they play. And possibly Liverpool as well, actually, now that I think about that. But most teams, almost every team in the Premier League would benefit from a player like Harry Kane up front. Um, I would be very surprised, though, if Spurs didn't look outside of England, first of all, for the move. Um, I saw someone saying Munich might be a, a good landing spot both for him and for Spurs. Um, but ultimately... You imagine that. Yeah, like Jesus, as if as if Munich aren't good enough, I guess it's already like. But um, that like if they if Munich can't get Haaland, say for example, that they'll go after Kane if Kane if Haaland then comes to Premier League or whatever, you know. But mm. I I like I I, I I one thing that's annoyed me about the whole thing is the way people are speaking about him as if he's like in his eighties. Um, it's just, just because he's been around a long time. Yeah, maybe it's that Wayne Rooney thing. He's been around for so long that we kind of um, we age him quicker than than he actually is. But you know, as as Paddy said, he's only t- turning twenty eight this summer. Um, he should be coming into the the best seasons of his career. I I think he would he would make Manchester United better. I think a season with him and Cavani. I think United. Realistically, would be in a position to possibly challenge for the Premier League, um, with, with that kind of strike force. So, yeah. I think they have to make a move for that kind, from that point of view, because it, it instantly makes them just jump up a level in terms of the quality in, in in the Premier League and in Europe as well. Like, don't forget, United are going to be playing Champions League football next year, and hopefully remember how to defend corners this time around. Um, make it out of the group. Yeah, if they get out of the group. But uh I think I think he would be a decent addition. I just would worry about how much it's gonna cost to get him in. And Daniel, yeah. Daniel yeah, Levy that. doesn't accept uh knockdown price. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's no deals yeah. with Levy like <laughs> Yeah, and I suppose I mean, I suppose he's he's in a strong position, Levy like, but um yeah, it's just it is the money. Um, that is a big thing. I think you're right about United. I think they are the ones who are seem to be at the forefront of it. Um, there, there's been talk of him, and for whatever reason, I just have a feeling that that's where his his destination will be. Um, and I do think you're right. I think he would he would really bump them up to to level with. With City and Liverpool uh, next season, if Liverpool get all their players back fit and firing, um, in terms of competing for the Premier League, because uh, you know, imagine him and Cavani as a backup with with Greenwood, Rashford, um, you know, Pogba stays, Fernandez. I mean, that's if they get a centre half who maybe can play with Maguire and who you know can stand playing with Maguire. Um, that's you know, that's that's a good. That's a good, good squad um, to to compete up there. Um, but yeah, as Paddy says, it'll it'll run and run that one probably right throughout the summer, um, and depending on what happens at the Euros as well, um, we will see about that one. Um, I mentioned it there earlier, um, and I know we've talked a lot about the, the European Super League, um, but there's there's a new campaign and open ladder. Um, has been released, uh, you know, and Gary Neville seems to be at the forefront of it, alongside a few other big names in the media. Um, I'll just read a wee bit of it here. Um, we welcome the fan-led government review of the game and hope it leads to lasting change on an array of important concerns, including coordinated strategies to deal with racism, supporters' representation within clubs, LGBTQ issues, ticket co- distribution of income, all those aims can be realised if we take decisive action now it's time to act, we support government legislation to block any Premier League clubs attempting to abandon the country's football pyramid and we support the appointment of an independent football regulator Paddy is it you know it seems hard kind of to accept this this sort of message, this sort of thing um, from 
it looks like Gary Neville and Gary Lineker are at the forefront of it. I mean, are they are they the best people to be to be putting this forward? I suppose they're they're in all of our ears and screens more than than most. Um, and to do, they, they both have very good reputations. Uh, I think Guy Neville has shown himself to be an incredible pundit. You know, over the last few years, like I really value his opinion. I, I there's times that I can't really stand listening to him if he is involved in either a Manchester United or a Liverpool game. But in other, he's, he's just too emotionally invested. I met in United games in particular, and I'm sure other fans might feel the same about Carragher for Liverpool. But in general, I think he's excellent. Um, and Lineker as well, I, I really, I really like. He's come out with a few weird things on Twitter, but he's kind of like maybe would share uh, similar views to many. You know, he's a fairly liberal guy and, and tends to be more outspoken than than a lot of people would be on on certain issues and uh, immigration and, and and refugees and all this sort of stuff. Um, so I think they're well placed for people to listen to them, um, and and they do have command a certain level of respect. Um, they're also getting a lot of money from from Sky and BT. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's in it's in all their interest to keep to keep the house as it is. Um, you know, like they're they're the face of the face of current TV coverage on across a couple of networks, and even uh, obviously uh, Lineker, BBC, BBC as well. Um, so there's obviously there's obviously something in for them. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know. I'm sort of. I think people value their opinion so much that that it will carry weight. Um, I think I'm just sort of sick of hearing Neville fucking yap about it now. Like I'm a little bit fed up of it. Um, I'm a little bit fed up of 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 a lot of the stuff associated with the the Super League. It seems well dead and buried, and um, to bring in these whatever sort of tests and fit and proper tests and things sounds like a great idea in principle. But are all these billionaires and things going to agree to? You know, people running the rule over them now. I, I don't. I don't really know. Like, I don't really know what sustainable change it's actually going to make, or is this just publicity and ring fencing, BT and Sky's wealth and and hold over football? I don't know, but I'm cynical, man. <laughs> Steve, what do you think? I, 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 I imagine you're also a cynical man. I am um, exactly on Paddy's last point there. I just think all this is is about ring fencing the monopoly that Sky and BT have on the Premier League at the moment, and it feels like it feels like the message is we want we want change, but we want a very specific type of change that actually suits the status quo, um, <laughs> and that's no change at all. So yeah, I, I I'm a little bit. Like Paddy, in the sense that I'm, I'm tired of hearing them talk about it. Like they're almost some of the reaction to the some of the anti Super League reaction has almost pushed me to being in favour of it because <laughs> some of the the pearl clutching and the hand wringing that has gone on has has just been like way above what was required. Um, like we've we've gotten to the stage where football fans are trying to out purity each other. I saw a, a, quite a like someone I know and I, I quite like on Twitter today giving out about how much money the team he supports plan on spending during the summer because he never wanted to support a team like that. And by team like that, I assume he means team that might actually win something. Like <laughs> what, like what's the point? Like does anyone choose to be a football fan to be miserable? Like I don't understand what the, what the issue with your team spending money is. And they wouldn't be, like, they wouldn't be a traditional big six team or anything like that. But it was just funny to see, like, I don't want my team competing. It's a bit like, you know, when, you know, you, your mate recommends a band and then if you say you like them, then he doesn't like them anymore because they're too popular. Um, it, it seems to be a little bit like that with some of the anti-Super League stuff, um, particularly from Leeds and Aston Villa fans, I think, in, 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 for the most part so yeah right now I'm I'm kind of tired of hearing all that we can say football stuff because until they actually bring in financial fair play and until they actually vet the root, the, the people who own football clubs um, we're not going to be in a great position and actually that's I forgot to mention it earlier like people were going on about the the Leicester City owner after the FA Cup final now that's what real ownership is they can show what it means that man's family are billionaires because the government 
in Thailand have basically given them a monopoly on duty free that like there aren't like let's go back like there are no good billionaires was, yeah he he hugged the players whoop de doo he's still a billionaire who made his money from ways that the rest of you or I can never ever like um be afforded the privileges that him and his family have been been afforded so like the the Leicester City story for for all of that is painted as a feel good story. These are still billionaires who made their money in ways that are a little bit dodgy. Um so for all the for all the good stories we hear, there's like there aren't there's it's it's what we spoke about when we were talking about who could potentially buy Liverpool and Man United. Like there's not like there's better options out there. Like, yeah, we can still get rid of the bad that's in charge, but it's not like that the the grass is greener on the other side by any means. Yeah, you're 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 replacing bad with bad, really, aren't you? It's just what type of bad you're replacing it with. <laughs> That's exactly it. Like, like, um, you, like we we're in a situation where football is so broken that that is the own they are the only people who can own football clubs. Like that's what we need to change. We need to 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 make the model a fan owned model, and that is like I can't see that getting by. There's too many vested interests for that to ever happen, and and that's the sad reality of it. Yeah, because you know, there's, there's, uh, as you said, there's, there's too much money for for these people to make, um, including the likes of Gary Neville and Gary Lineker. But, um, and yeah, I, I mean, I think Phil actually highlighted this to me. I think Jack Humphreys tweeted when he, um, when the video was floating around of the, of the Leicester owner, he said, "This is for the fourteen, but it's just, ah, that I think that." Um, really sums up what you were talking about um, when we did the Super League pod about the holier than thou Leeds and Aston Villa and Everton fans. It's um, <laughs> it seems like that they're really jumping on that bandwagon. And as I said at the time, every single one of those clubs would have joined the Super League if they'd have been invited because they would have seen it for the catch care that it was. So, like, you, it's very easy to piss into the tent when you're not invited. <laughs> That's so a great true. way to put it. So um, yeah, um, but we will see how it goes. As Paddy said, it's, um, I suppose it is, it's just bad. But it's getting a bit boring now, Super League chat, and we just really need some some actual change rather than people talking about it. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Before we go, um, I also have to talk about another Chelsea team getting beat in another final. Um, this is a horrible pod for me. Um, I've just realised. Um, <laughs> with, with Liverpool, Liverpool winning and and the FA Cup final, and, and then Emma Hayes, Chelsea women, um, just. I mean, they were beat so well um, in the Women's Champions League final yesterday. Um, Barcelona scored a, well, it was an own goal after I think it was 33 seconds. And um, then in, in the first half, they, they blew Chelsea away with three other goals. It was 4 0 at half time. To be fair, Chelsea, they came out, they tried, they pushed, um, it finished 4 0. But Barcelona were were far far too strong on the day. Steve, they were they were just really good to watch, weren't they? They were. I mean, <laughs> just, I didn't realize this at the time, but I was looking at the the La Liga statistics. Like they've only played <laughs> twenty six matches. They haven't even fulfilled their complement of matches in the league yet, and they scored one hundred twenty eight goals and only conceded five. So for Chelsea to win last night, or yeah, for Chelsea to win, they would have had to score as many goals as Barcelona have conceded all season, which is just an incredible, incredible statistic. Um, I thought it became very telling. Like we saw, we saw Chelsea in both the semi-finals and the quarter-finals overcome difficult first legs and readjust for the second leg and, and get through to the final that way. And I think if there's one weakness in in Emma Hayes' management, it does seem to be that she struggles a little bit to adjust on the flying games. I thought the biggest problem for Chelsea last night, and they did kind of address it in the second half, but you'd have to wonder how much Barcelona were trying in the second half as well. Um, the two full-backs were just 
they may as well not have been there. It was like there was like revolving doors at one stage. Um, I thought particularly on like the penalty was nonsense. I don't think it was a penalty, but I think in the build up, the strength um that the player showed to kind of beat the Chelsea fullback there was just you you shouldn't be able to brush a player off the ball like that the the way she did. Um, and I think like I thought just. Barca were just super. Like sometimes you are just beaten by the better team, um, uh, and it 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 is one of those situations where you just kind of have to just say to yourself, look, it's it's not going to it's not going to be. We're not going to, every final we play isn't going to be like this. Um, but I felt that if like a couple of the chances that fell to harder, I think in the first half had fallen to literally anybody else in the Chelsea team. It might have been a very different result. Because when I, I, I missed the, I missed the first minute, so I obviously missed the first goal. But I thought for the next kind of ten minutes, Chelsea were the better team. <laughs> yeah, we're like losing on the score sheet. So I think it was the second goal after fourteen minutes. I think that's when the game completely went. But I thought for that opening kind of quarter of an hour, I thought Chelsea were by far the better team. They just weren't converting any of the chances. I think Carter missed two really, really good chances. And then yeah. you've got very different games. So, um, the one thing I would say that, and, and this is not to pat anyone on the back, like, I mean, you don't get, you don't get medals for, for kind of just showing up. But my, I don't know about you guys, but my Twitter timeline was dominated by the game last night, which is a, a dramatic departure from normal women's Champions League finals. And I don't know whether that was because it was an English team involved in it or whether just the profile of, English, or of women's football has started to get you know, raised more and more. But I thought that was good. That was really good to see. The result might not be what you want, but I think if there was little girls watching that football last night because it was free on YouTube or whatever, like, you know, it's that it's that expression they have. You have to, to you can't be if you can't see. And I think that's ultimately the, what comes out with these things is that the, the, the quality will get better as the, the more support, more people playing. And the fact that and a timeline which is usually dominated by I I'm surprised that it wasn't still discussing the Allison goal. It had completely switched to the women's Champions League final. Um so I think that's that's a really good thing to see as well. Yeah. I'm surprised it wasn't dominated by peanut butter on burgers. Um but <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a whole other story. Um no, I think you're right though. Um my timeline well I think my timeline's probably usually Chelsea dominated anyway, but yeah, um, the fact that yours was, was, is a very good sign. And I think part of that is, is the characters, um, that are in women's football as well. Like Emma Hayes is obviously one, um, the, I mean, you're right when, in those two Barcelona wingers, they were, even from a Chelsea fan, you know, they were a joy to watch. Graham Hansen was absolutely superb. Like, I think the, you're right in that the the matchups were just completely wrong for Chelsea, and you know um, they they had to make a change at halftime and did sort of plug a few holes. Um, but yeah, they were just they were overall too good. And I think you know Emma Hayes came out and said that they were the better side, and um, Sam Kerr was interviewed and said that as well. So I don't think Chelsea really could have any complaints about that. I think that's that's a good really good point you make about. Um, Emma Hayes as well. I think she she'll probably learn from it too. Um, at Barcelona, as they mentioned in the commentary, were were beat four one in twenty nineteen by Leon, and and they've had that experience and they've gone away and they've tweaked and they've built a little and you could see that they came out and they were ready from the word go. I mean, even even. Before the first goal, which was after 33 seconds, they they looked like they were going to score even in the build up to that attack. Um, they were on it from the word go, and you know they they were were deserved winners. But yeah, again, because we're you know we're invested now. Well, I certainly am in in definitely the the Chelsea ladies team. Um, you know, there's a narrative there. Um, we know how how good they've been this season and. Now they've got to the to the Champions League and um they've obviously been beating the final, but you know, similar to to how you get invested in the men's game, um you, you wanna see them go next season and, and maybe build and add to the squad and you know, see if they can go one better this time. So um yeah, it's um 
it's a credit to them. I think uh, Abramovich was there. He was actually allowed. Um, I think he was he's allowed in Sweden. Um, so he was there. He went into the um, into the change room after, which was which was good to see. Um, that's I mean, of all the, the criticism that he gets, I think he's he's very very good at that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. He actually he seems to really cure. Um, and certainly, you know, I, I don't think you would get a lot of other. Um, Premier League owners um, following or investing in the the women's team as much. Um, Paddy, I'm sure, yeah, you know, you would maybe want a bit more investment and a bit more cure taken with the with the Liverpool women's team. Yeah, like it's it's been fairly neglected for a while. I think they won a couple of titles through 2013, 2014, and they've just rehired that manager who 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 coached them to success, but. Yeah, I think I think it's been fairly neglected, and the, and the men's teams sort of taken taken sort of massive precedence. Which um, you see the likes of City and Chelsea and 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 the investment they've put in in their women's teams, and they're, they're doing so well. Like you know, Chelsea to be in obviously didn't work out, but to be in line for a quadruple at a stage is pretty unreal. Like, um, and it definitely you know. Um, the club should be about not just the men's team; it should be about both and and getting uh, you know if it helps get more young girls interested in it as well, and that's that's brilliant. Yeah, it can only be a good thing. Um, I think that will probably do us for this week. Um, obviously, a lot more football happening this week. We will find a lot more out about um, the situation going into the the last games of the season. Um, we will definitely be doing some build-up on the European finals um, and I'm sure probably a few other crazy things will probably happen in between. So um, that'll do us. Paddy, thank you very much. Thanks, folks. I have one observation before I leave and I'm just going to put it out there. Mm-hmm. Sean Dyche wears the most inappropriate clothes for inclement weather I've ever seen. <laughs> Always in either a long-sleeve white shirt no jacket or his coat that he wears never has a hood and he looks really really miserable and cold and I just wanted I was, I was, it was popped in my head earlier on because I watched him get soaked in that Leeds game and I was just like someone needs to dress him so I don't <laughs> he, just want, that. he just wants to prove to everyone that he's hard I think like a, there, there was a game I don't know if it was earlier this season or not but um, Burnley were at home anyway and they were really Brighton um or one of the one of the lower league teams and it was pissing down rain like sideways rain and he took his coat off <laughs> and walked yeah. up and down the line and just uh, and you could just see through that white shirt that you're talking about he wears like absolutely drenched um but he yeah can't be an Arsenal manager if he if he doesn't like big long coats like yeah that's true um we'll have to get jd's react i wonder does he like leather jackets because jd'd be <laughs> yeah, get a get you yeah, um, a car, Sean Dice in it. Somehow Sean Dice has managed to become the longest serving manager in the Premier League and that just is such a weird, weird oh, stuff. Good stuff. I did not that. Great stuff for the end of the pod. Um Steve, thanks for that and thanks um for being here tonight. But yeah, that's gonna do this. So um we'll see you next week. Um patreon.com forward slash football babble. Um if you want to check that out. And thanks to everyone again who donates. Um, So we'll see you again next week. Cheers.